Now this uh, week obviously has cast a shadow kind of upon everything, has it not? Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. Lives matter, friends. I don't know about you, but it seems as if evil and hate, atrocities and miseries have raised their heads in the ugliest way possible. And at times it looks as if they're winning. That they will have the last say, does it not? Things are moving so fast. Rapid fire change throughout the world. It's more than we can take in. So how are we to respond? We said jokingly last Sunday that we were Brexit before Brexit was cool. But really, when you start thinking about it, that whole notion that let's break out and isolate ourselves, let's dream back to a time when things were smaller, easier to overlook and not quite as fast, something we know we can do it our way, that notion resulted in a vote that made all of Britain wake up to what they thought had solved a lot of issues to just realize there was another host of nightmare issues that they have not thought of. I was just, uh, as many of you know, in Vancouver uh, to meet with church leaders, Baptist church leaders from around the globe. This uh, last week, we just came home uh, yesterday and it was an amazing kind of experience to see that how so many things are happening around the world and it's just almost impossible to fathom the kind of diversity and it's all coming in on everyone. I spoke to, to someone uh, that I had known through another person actually from Africa who was talking about how difficult it was and how careful they had to be because they were being decapitated and destroyed by vicious, malicious ISIS forces. Everyone who called the name of Jesus, one of them was a friend of mine who had been taken apart limb by limb until he died. I spoke to others where Christian faith was spreading with such rapid fire, they hardly wouldn't know what to do to contain them all. is everywhere, people turning to Christ, and it was an amazing kind of thing. I spoke to people uh, who were struggling to find out what can we do. There seems to be no one being called to ministry anymore, and, and so they were closing down seminaries, and I spoke to others who said, we have so many new Christians, we need so many more church leaders, but we have, do not have the capacity to 
to educate them all. I spoke to someone, they said, we have not baptized anyone for years and years. And, and now we had this large group of, of fugitives coming in and, and people that are being displaced from their normal local areas, many of whom were, were Muslims before. They're turning to Christ. One told me I baptized 30 Three, last Sunday, I had never tried that in my life. 30 of those were Muslims coming to Christ right there in Vienna, Austria. He'd say all over the place, things are so radically different and so difficult to grasp. Right there in the same situation. How do we tackle that? And it is difficult and sometimes we feel the easiest way is to dream about a time that has been. And it may be easy also to find people or groups rather to blame. Those that we can call enemies. I, uh, because I was gone all last week, had prepared a sermon from Luke 6 uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, to be uh, ready to be away, knowing that I wouldn't have uh, much time coming back. And it seemed eerily apropos. When I was thinking about what should I find a different text, it seems too radical. Jesus can be too radical, can he not? This is about ethos. Jesus is talking to us about a different ethos. As Bobby Smith was saying earlier, let the church be church. We need to realize that we are called to a different kind of ethos. This is about the heart. This is us realizing as Christians that the one that we call Lord, the one we say, I will follow him, he calls us to not look at ourselves, but to look at others and look to him for how to do that. I was reminded as I hear People speak with all kinds of ways. Most fortunately, thankfully, with words of grace and hope, but some with ire and anger. And, and I was reminded of how Jesus is the very model for the text that we are reading today from Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and on. If you have your Bible, I'll, I'll encourage you to go there. Luke chapter 6. We have been in uh, the sixth chapter of Luke several times. That's why I wanted to re return to that and, and work on this a little bit more. You know, Jesus, when he was taken captive and he was whipped and he was having a crown of thorns pushed down upon his head and, and he was being accused of all kinds of evil and bad things that he had not done. He was being persecuted and you know good and well he could have I'm not put, said, I'm not putting up with this. 
and stopped with a snap of his finger and they would have died rather than him, yes? But he modeled for us beyond all the other wonderful and powerful things we may say on the cross. Here's some of this also in this text. I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Praise for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic or your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies... Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Friends, that's a radical text. Yes? from the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amazing text. And I want you to notice, if you stay with it, I'm gonna just stay right there in the text as I do Sunday by Sunday. Notice how he opens to all those who are hearing me. We step back where we were just a few Sundays ago. You say he addressed a narrow group of the disciples specifically. But now as he is speaking generally to how we should interact with other people, he is saying, listen to me, all those of you who are hearing me. So may I say that? Whoever you are, Listen up. If you're here this morning, if you're watching live stream on on the net, on the web, or if you're watching on, on the television later on, or even picking this up online later on, listen up. Jesus is talking to all those who are hearing him, not just to a narrower, smaller group with this. This matters. The Lord of life himself is speaking to you about how you should arrange your life and your thoughts in relationship to fellow human beings. The lines are drawn up pretty clear here, it seems to me. Radical as this text is, almost unspeakably radical, actually. He's not talking utopically. 
This is not some kind of figurative speech about how it might be in paradise one day. Regardless of how great our temptation may, may be for relegating the difficult sayings of Jesus to something that we are not really supposed to do, just something that we kind of aim toward in the vaguest of ways. Jesus is not trying to draw up something that is utopia. He's trying to let us know how he wants us to think about our fellow human beings and how he wants us to relate to them. May I give a couple of examples uh, from history, some that are, <clears throat> that are a little bit uh, way back, but our predecessors, if you will, the Anabaptists of the 16th century that were drowned in Zurich River because of their Christian commitment and faith in what scripture says about baptism and church membership and other things, as they were being taken to the river to be drowned, riveting stories are told about how their spouses are encouraging them all the way to not recant their faith and to stay pure in thought and not wish for revenge, to stay focused on God and his promises. We hear, and you can read about that on, on the web all over the place, on how some of those very people who are decapitated right now are still speaking kind words from the lips of Jesus as they're being killed and violated in every such way. I'm told about my friend Enosh Weshwise. I, as I heard about him being dismembered that he was asked to just recant his faith and he would not. He kept calling Jesus Lord. Now all of this, all of this, of course, does not mean that any of this is easy. But I think I've said it many times before and it has a little bit of a different ring on a Sunday like this, that the church must become a different alternative community. Love looks different among Christians, friend. It just does, and it must do so. We are an alternative following a different master, walking to a different drumbeat, if you like that metaphor better. I think we are at the very heart of Jesus' message right here, more than anything else, he's highlighting that love must dominate life of the Christians. Even when it's hard, even when it's unfair, even when it's not actually easy. When people hate you, just look at the text. When they curse you, when they mistreat you, when they beat you, when they rob you, when they take away human rights, the answer is not to hate back or even seek revenge, but to love back. 
I feel shamed, shameful almost to say that because I know how hard that is. But Jesus gives us a role model. He himself shows us how. Imagine that. God himself shows us. Verse 36 is pretty clear right here. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. We have a picture of what that is because we know what it means to not be treated as we should have been treated. Because we have been treated with far greater love than we ever deserved by God himself. I want to say this with as much strength and as much direct power from God's word as, as it is all possible. When sometimes we think to ourselves, we're not going to admit it out loud, certainly not in certain uh, circumstances among certain groups of people, that all this stuff about turning the other cheek sounds either utopian or at best uh, like some kind of ideological mumble jumble that it doesn't have any place in the real life when things are tough and people are unfair. And yet Jesus says, yes, it does. It may not be pleasant. It may not be right. But the way I've shown you and the way I've called you to live is to show love. Not to handle things like you would have done without God, but to handle things the way you can only be done with the Lord. You see, where God reigns, Jesus says, enmity and frustration is not met with enmity but with love. Can we look at verse 27 again? And just hold it together because that's how they belong with verse 32 and 33. I tell you, hear me, all those who hear me, <clears throat> love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. And if you're good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That's nothing special. That's what is normal. If you don't step outside of what you would have done otherwise, had you not even met the Lord, there's nothing to it is what he says. The difference between you and everybody else who does not know Jesus is that you know of a different kind of love. We want to make a difference, yes? We want to be difference makers, yes? That can be dangerous and that can be costly. The one thing we know is that it's not going to be 
easy. I think it's almost impossible to exaggerate the meaning of this word from Jesus for the Christian life. I think also it's very easy for us today thinking that we live in the 21st century. We don't really relate. It, things were easier back in Jesus' days. But let me tell you how it was. Among those who were under influence of the Greco-Roman world, here's the headline under which they lived, and I'm quoting for Lysias, one of their writers. I consider it unarguable that obviously you should inconvenience inconvenience your enemies and serve your friends. The old first century Judaism asked God to rehabilitate them by crushing their enemies. The Qumran sect, those we know through the Dead Sea Scrolls, commanded their members to hate all those who did not follow their way of righteousness. That's the background. So you got those on one side with the Jewish background, you get those on the other side with the Greco-Roman background, and into that world, Jesus steps up, and he commands all those who are following him to love your enemies. That was radical, friends. That's the kind of thing you get stoned for saying or crucified. And I want you to see something that may shock you. I'm, I don't know. He's not recommending kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling necessarily toward their enemies, as if you use the word phileo, one of the words that we can translate with love from, from Greek, right? Phileo, your enemies. He's not saying that. He's not encouraging his listeners either to have some kind of passion-filled, even intimate relationship with their enemies, as if he used the word eros, another word that is translated love. No, he is commanding a graceful, outgoing, actively interested love for people who are your enemies exactly because he uses the word agape. Agape, your enemies. That's the word chosen right here. There's so much power that it's almost forcing us to just get still. Really, how can he ask us to agape those that we don't really care for, those who are doing things? How can that? And yet he says, that's how you change the world. Agape those who do not deserve it. And when they return back with ways where they reserve it even less, 
Because they don't return your love with love, they return your love with hate. You say, agape them even more. In fact, that's what I'm doing to you, he's saying. We can find all kinds of illustrations of that, of course, from contemporary situations, but, but maybe on a day-to-day, it would make sense to quote a little bit from Martin Luther King when he stepped outside or stood there at the gravel of his home that had been bombed, and he said, we must love those who hate us regardless of what they do to us. We can never allow bitterness to grow in our heart. We must meet hate with love. And a little bit later, he said, blood may have to run in Montgomery before we have freedom, but it must be our blood. Because we must love. Love will always conquer hate. Here's someone, friends, and I pulled it out, someone who had read Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Do to us whatever you want. We'll continue to show love. Because it's not about us, it's about how we change the world, the Christian life and the Christian community will love even when love is not returned. Our love shall not be moved. It's a good test, and I ran that on myself before I put this in my notes. And it can be quite revealing. Close your eyes for half a second and think back on people that you don't really care for. Maybe even groups of people that you truly hate. Whatever's going on in your heart and your mind. And then ask. Just to yourself, you don't have to say anything out loud, just in your own heart. How long has it been since you have truly prayed for them. Can you truly say, I heard Jesus when he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Did I say that this is a radical text? I think I did. I don't really want to sound too somber, but I do want to bring out what Jesus seems to be saying in this very text. And he goes on and it becomes even more concrete as if he wants us to have this test where we can check our maturity level. How much are we actually trying to imitate the one we call Lord and Savior? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, to bless a person, the Greek word for blessing is eulogeo, that means speaking good about. So those who hate you speak good about them to others and to God. 
To do that, you need to know in the depths of your heart there's a love that is not found within yourself that comes from God because you have met a love that you didn't deserve and you're willing to imitate to the level and the power of which he's given you strength to do so. How long has it been since you have really praised people that you don't care much for to other people or even to God? Significantly prayed for them. And then he goes on and he tightens kind of the speech even further. If someone hits you on the cheek, just turn the other one. What? Really? Just tell, you be honest. When you read this, you go, yeah, yeah, let's go to the next verse. Yes? That just sounds like too much. Is he talking about us just being kind of crazy, just letting everybody trample all over us? Not at all. But he's highlighting that love is always stronger than revenge. Always. If you want to live with me as Lord, he says, the old word about an eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth is no longer in play. On the contrary, when you are faced with all kinds of unreasonable situations, someone slapping you on the cheek for no apparent reason, instead of figuring out how you can get back at them, show love. Show love. Well, that's impossible. It is in your own power. But that and only that will change the world. It changes the world, friends. It's how it is. I spoke more to, to some of these people that are, that are experiencing this tremendous kind of influx right now of, of displaced people groups that are now coming into Germany and, and Austria and, and all of Europe actually and they see all these uh, formerly non-Christian Muslims most, most dominantly but not all of them and they say, what is happening? And one of them said, well, they come and they meet hate everywhere. They come and they visit a church and they meet love. And they ask, what is this? Who gives the power to show love. And the answer then becomes, how can I know him? Pretty strong word, he said. What is that? You know, it's like the heathens do. You should do more and different. Retaliation has its roots in the devil's work. Love, forgiveness comes from God. Again, did I say it was easy? I don't think I did. At the time of Jesus, the scribes, the lawyers, if you will, had found 613 commandments in the law that all should be kept 
And because of that, great debates developed on, on how these laws related to one another, which had present over the other law and, and which was more important than the other. What if two seemed to, at certain times, contradict one another? Which one had prominence? There was great debates that developed on that and various kinds of oral traditions came from that. And Jesus cut through that and he says, you are missing the whole point. This is not about how you can find a Bible verse to argue for your thing or for your case. This is about, this is about meeting every situation with love, with the presence of Christ. Regardless of evil stares you straight in the face, regardless of hate, if hate tears up your cheek. You must let your peaceful eyes return whatever situation with love. Let the love from your hurting cheek, if you will, meet the hand of hate. That's the message, friends, and that's the message that will change this world according to God's own word. That's how they will know us by our love. He gives us the role modeling for how to do that. It says about him, look in verse 35 right here. He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I'm not sure how to do that. But I know where to go to find help. There was a guy who wrote one time, I forgot his name. I just took the note down. God gives us friends to push us forward so that we will reach our potential. And God gives us enemies so that we can experience to be pulled far above and far further than our potential. If you're like me, and I'm just trying to read this text with us all, this whole thing about turning the other cheek and loving those who hate you can easily just be sweet talk. Yeah, it'll be good if. But this is what we're called to do. And when we try to say that, well, this is for the weak, really it'll show weakness. In our culture, the strong wins. Only for a season, friends. God's love is always stronger than human hate. It is always the greatest that, great, that grant grace to the weak. That's why Jesus said, be merciful as your father is merciful. I think all of you have heard of the Colosseum in Rome, yes? Mighty, you've seen the ruins of it. If, not, if you haven't been there, you've seen it on pictures. Mighty, majestic, 
building like nothing the world had known. Thousands and tens of thousands of people sitting in the galleries looking at how Christians were torn apart in the middle and cheering on by wild animals. Not one in a million people would have said, one day the Christian faith of these little bitty people down there will conquer Rome itself. Yes. But it happened. Love conquers. Hate. And love will always be the world-changing power. It doesn't cost anything, does it? Yet it creates a lot. It enriches those who are receiving it without impoverishing those who are giving it. It often lasts just a second, but the memory of the loving deed will last eternally. No one is so rich that they can live without it, and no one so poor that they can't afford it. It gives rest to those who are tired, encouragement to those who are downtrodden, sunshine to those who are dark, and it's the nature's best medicine against any problem the human race will face. Can't be bought, can't be begged. It can be given away. And it's no good until it is. Love your enemies. Love those who do bad. If we hear that, if anyone else experienced that, it will, friends, change the world. Can we stand? I'm going to give you a respond, a time to respond after we have, while we're singing this song. Some of you may want to just pray. We have already done so. Please continue to do that all day. Some of you may want to do it here. Others may want to say, hey, I need to be part of a fellowship where I can be encouraged to live in this kind of love. We want to be that fellowship, friend. Come help us. Be part of that. You need to turn your life to Christ because you know deep down, I have no idea what the pastor just said. I just don't know that kind of love. This is your opportunity. Whatever God is calling you to do, Let's do it now. Father, would you speak to us? It may not just be still simmering, kind of maybe, should I, kind of uncoming kind things to our heart. Maybe convictions, Father, that changes the way we speak, the way we live, the way we approach other people. Father, I ask forgiveness for myself and for this whole group. If there are things that we, by our very silence, what we have caught, what we have caused hurt,
in situations where we could have caused redemption by speaking up. We ask your forgiveness, Father. We ask forgiveness if we have even in, in closed circles said things that we know had other people heard it, it would have been harmful and hurtful and portrayed anything but your kingdom's presence. If that's our reality, Father, would you forgive and change us? As we see this world difficult and different and hard to kind of grasp with the rapid speed fire with which it moves, Father, would, would you teach us that the only thing that can be done by each and every individual who know you is to love and to love again and then to love anymore, even more. Amen.